0: When I was in college, there was a popular area. It was uh, outside the library and the student union, and we called it the pit. Uh, I may have just disclosed to you where I went to college. It was a great place. I feel especially good about it today. It was a great place to meet friends and um, uh, you know, grab lunch or sign the latest petition. And it was also, strangely, one of the most reliable places uh, in town that you could go to hear a sermon on God's judgment. <laughs> we, um, we called him the pit preacher. And the only way I can describe his appearance is to say, John the Baptist in old Nikes. And he would, uh, he would have these plywood signs plastered with threatening biblical verses all over them. And you'd always see a little crowd around him responding to him. And some people would be asking genuine questions and others would be mocking. I was generally amused by his antics. He annoyed a lot of people I thought deserved annoying. <laughs> Sometimes he annoyed me. And I'm sure I deserved it. But occasionally, I'd listen and I'd think, well, he's not wrong about that. Thinking back on it now, his primary theme was repentance. Repent or else, you might say. Though I would have said it differently, I still stand by my original review. He's not wrong about that one. (laughs) But whereas the pit preacher would Convince or try to convince people that Jesus would come back at any moment and catch us all red-handed. And that God's wrath was filling up like the Colorado River right behind the Hoover Dam and there were cracks already in the wall. And when it would burst, it would wipe away everyone who wasn't prepared and that if we sinners didn't change, we would find ourselves being hurled into the lake of fire. And I believe what Jesus is telling us today is not so much repent or else. That's in there somewhere. But more like repent while you still have time. Yes, it's time to repent. Also, yes, we have time to repent. The time is God's to give, but God does give it. God gives us the time. Just then there were some bystanders telling Jesus about some awful thing that had happened to some Galileans while they were in church. Well, they were taking their sacrifices and uh, they were slaughtered while they were doing so. uh, By Pilate's command, same Pilate. And with a cruel flourish, Pilate, Pilate, had their blood mixed in with the sacrifices, the blood of their sacrifices. But Jesus takes issue with the bystanders and their assumption that these churchgoers got what they must have gotten what that was coming to them. Were these greater sinners than anyone else, Jesus asked? What about those who died when the wall fell near the pool of Siloam and crushed them? Were they more sinful too? Jesus seems almost as peeved as the preacher William Sloan coffin the night after his son was killed in a car accident. And as he tells the story, or as he told it, he was sitting in the living room of his sister's house when, and I quote, a nice looking middle-aged woman carrying 18 quiches came in. And as she entered the foyer, she looked at him with pity and said, I just don't understand the will of God. And boy, he jumped up out of his seat and got all over and said, I'll say you don't. And Cawthead wondered aloud in the eulogy for his son why intelligent people can't get it through their heads that God doesn't go around this world with his fingers on triggers, his fist around knives, and his hands on steering wheels. Now, in Jesus' day, as in ours, There are a lot of people walking around with 18 quiches who think God is some mysterious combination of a referee and an assassin. Repent or else God will send the wall tumbling down or the car left of center or the cancer straight to the pancreas. Did something terrible happen? It must be karma. It couldn't possibly be because we live in a broken, fallen world in desperate need of saving where both evil and chaos still have significant jurisdiction. The Kish people are sure there must be some secret sin that went unrepented. But then Jesus tells a parable. A man had a fig tree in his vineyard, and for three years in a row now, he'd come by the fig tree to inspect it, and all three years he'd come by, there was no fruit on the tree. And he tells the gardener, I'm tired of this waste of soil, cut it down. The gardener says, leave it alone for one year. Let me tend to it and put some manure on it. I once heard a sermon on this text entitled, Manure Happens. (laughs) It was really good. It was a really good sermon. Uh, Let me tend to it and put some manure on it. Then if it bears fruit, all well and good, but if not, then you can cut it down. Give it time, in other words. Give it time, the gardener says. Time is God's to give, but God does give us time. And there are those Christians who go on and on about a God whose punishment we can never outrun. But isn't the world desperate for Christians and a message that we can offer to know that we can never outrun God's love? That's the flip of the switch. We can never outrun God's kindness we can't outrun God's patience. In other lectionary readings for today, the, the psalmist sings of a God who always has time to uphold her. And I, Isaiah describes a God who abundantly pardons those who return, those who repent. Paul tells the Corinthians, when, when you're being tested, when you're being tempted, God gives you options. God gives you Time. To God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So, what's another year for a fig tree? Plenty of time to bear fruit. I believe Jesus' challenge to these bystanders and his corresponding parable of the fig tree are not designed to frighten us into repentance but to communicate something that seems always to hide in the plain sight of people like us who think we'll never die. What if the parable of the fig tree, if in this parable Jesus is inviting us to change our minds in time to enjoy seeing the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven? One of my best teachers... He used to ask his students, how do you want to die? And after the initial surprise of the direct question, they'd begin to answer, in my sleep, or a heart attack, or I don't care, just make it quick and painless. (laughs) But then he'd say, yes, but that makes you different than most Christians who've ever lived. And their eyebrows would raise, and then he would explain that there was a time when people were afraid of dying quickly because then they wouldn't have time to repent, to change their minds. They wouldn't have time to say they were sorry. They wouldn't have time to, to forgive their, their spouse or their son or their daughter or their, their mom or their dad or their friend or ask forgiveness Something more precious than breath would be taken away from them if they didn't have time to repent. One of the most brilliant Christians who ever lived, St. Augustine of Hippo, he he wept for his sins on his deathbed. And he told his fellow monks to leave him alone, but not before posting uh, penitential psalms all around his room and writ large so he could read the psalms from his... From his bed. We can imagine him reading and praying, Turn, O Lord, save my life, deliver me for the sake of your steadfast love. A month ago, Transfiguration Sunday, we heard the word metamorphosis, transformation. The word for repent is like it metanoia. It means turn around. It means change your mind. We might even say it means be transformed by the renewing of your minds. There is a dimension of repentance that does involve sackcloth and ashes. Ashes on the forehead, ashes on the hand. Sincere remorse for the things we have done and for the things we have left undone, undone. Yes, that's all part of it. But there's also the dimension of repentance that says you used to think this way, but now God is inviting you to see a new way. How many times did Jesus say it? You've heard it said, but I say unto you. Now that's... This dimension of repentance has opened up a whole new dimension of the Christian life for me. You see, I don't, nobody ever really, I can't pinpoint the time anybody taught me to think this way, but just along the way I started thinking that Christianity gave me permission to say, I know something you don't know. <laughs> One day I, I, my, the battery and my watch died. You could say Time stopped. And I had to go get the battery place. I couldn't figure out how to do it myself. I went to the battery shop. I walked in, and I couldn't see anyone there. The, the shop was open. The lights were on. I couldn't find anybody. I stepped in further into the shop and turned and looked to my left. There was a man bowing down towards Mecca and praying in the middle of the day. And I thought to myself, in my whole life, I, I don't know that I've ever Prostrated myself in the middle of the day and put myself in position to be stumbled upon by a stranger doing so. And it struck me. And I think ever since I've been repenting, <laughs> that is to say, he knew something I didn't know. And now I don't know what any of you would find if you came in my office at a random time, whether I'd be standing or sitting or prostrated praying, I don't know, but if you found me on my knees praying to the God of Jesus Christ, it would be because of a Muslim who taught me something about prayer I didn't know. We've heard it said, we can't outrun God's punishment, but I say to you, we can't outrun God's love, we can't outrun God's kindness, we can't outrun God's patience. Yes, it is the season of Lent. Time to repent. And thank God for the time.